Welcome to Integrative Conversations, hosted by the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. The Academy expands knowledge to professionals in the mental health community and beyond using a conscious, experiential, and evidence-based format. Our mission is to deliver comprehensive health and wellness to all by empowering personal and professional growth and confidence. To learn more, visit us at www.academyimh.com. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, Juniper Owens here, the director of the Academy of Integrative Mental Health and also your host for today's integrative conversation. And the conversation we're going to be sharing with you today was with Katushia Gray, who is the owner of Mind Meets Movement Counseling, an integrative counseling center in New York. It was a lovely conversation that dipped into the ocean of the intersection of yoga and mental health. Kat describes her personal experience with yoga, her mind-body work with children and teens, um, a trauma-informed approach with integrating somatic techniques such as yoga in mental health, cracks in the foundation of the mental health delivery system, and so much more. She shares tons of tips and techniques using a somatic approach, as well as her direct practice experience working primarily with people of color. Near the end of the conversation, she shares a beautiful guided relaxation that, quite honestly, had me almost asleep, which was great because I apparently needed it. So if you're needing some self-care or relaxation today, please allow yourself a little bit of time to listen to this just informative, rich conversation and the guided practice near the end. You won't want to miss it. So it is springtime in this part of the world, and I don't know about you, but I can't describe how much how much I miss the sun warming my cheeks, all the leaves that are unfurling and opening, flowers blossoming, insects buzzing. For me, springtime reminds me of of rebirth, sprouting seeds and new beginnings. In the spirit of spring, we have been working the last few months on updating our integrative mental health certification course. Three Core Integrative is a training program to become a certified integrative mental health practitioner with the credentials of IMHP. This model transcends the three most research-backed components of the integrative or holistic approach to mental health care, which are mindfulness meditation, movement, and nutrition. And we use an inclusive integrative mental health approach, which supports a systems approach to mental health, utilizing both conventional and alternative treatments within a holistic framework. This model supports the mind, body, spirit, soul with a multi-system collaborative perspective. While traditional counseling methods concentrate on the client's psychological symptoms and consequences like cognitive and behavioral, holistic therapy includes physical, which could be, but not limiting to, nutrition, gut health, impacts of chronic stress, in collective stress like racism, exercises, etc., and spiritual context, as well as environmental factors, again, pollution, social supports, systemic and cultural context. 
The three core integrative certification will equip you with the knowledge, tools, practices, and confidence to enhance your practice and empower your clients. You will go beyond a basic understanding of the three pillars of mindfulness, movement, and nutrition using a bio, psycho, social, spiritual approach to meet clients where they are and sustain lasting impact on both your personal and professional development. We are so excited to nurture and witness this little seed that was planted almost five years ago to grow into a comprehensive, inclusive, unique, and incredibly valuable certification course for mental health professionals. We promise to keep you updated, but until then, we are looking for content reviewers, additional content reviewers, contributors, and experts to collaborate with for this course and for the academy in general. If you're an integrative professional and looking to share your knowledge, expertise, experience, and or services, please contact us on our website, academyimh.com. Sweet. Look forward to hearing from some of you. And um, now let's get into some integrative therapy talk with Katusha Gray. Katusha Gray is a licensed clinical social worker, certified yoga teacher, and psychotherapist. She graduated from Adelphi University in 2006 with an MSW in social work and received a yoga certification in 2018. In 2019, she became a certified clinical child and adolescent anxiety treatment professional. She is the owner of Mind Meets Movement Counseling Services, an integrative health practice in Valley Stream, New York, that focuses on individual, children, adolescents, and young adults and families. She and her team utilize unique and creative methods to help clients get the most out of their sessions, linking mind and body in the process. Kat, thank you so much for joining us today, and you're obviously a perfect guest for this podcast. I'm so excited to hear more. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and let's kind of like just get right to the heart of the matter. And I would love to hear um, about your holistic approach to therapy and why this is so important to you in your personal life experience and journey. For sure. So, you know, as you stated that I am a psychotherapist, I've been a psychotherapist for oh, maybe over 15 years now, so quite some time. And um, I always, I love psychotherapy. I treat predominantly children, adolescents, young adults, some adult women too, depending upon what they come to me for. And I've always felt that, and I've always practiced on the notion of the mind and the body is connected, right? We have to work with both in order for really true healing to happen. Now, when I was... um, coming up as a therapist, no one really talked about how much the mind and the body is connected. It's all CBT, psychoanalytic, which is fine, which is great, right? But therapy also is not a one size fits all. What works for one patient doesn't necessarily work for another patient. And I think we need to open ourselves up as therapists to kind of figure out what works for each of your patient, right? So I come from a very 
traumatic childhood background. Um, I was raised um, here in New York, but I grew up with Caribbean family, with a Caribbean family. Both my mother and my father is Haitian descent. Um, and so whoever knows about Caribbean culture, people could be very mean, aggressive. They don't really have any regard for children. I also have a history of sexual abuse as a kid as well. And so when something really traumatic happens to you as a kid like that, it really gets stuck in the body. It gets stuck in your tissues. It gets stuck in your mind. So I was always hypervigilant. I was always worried. I was always nervous. I always thought somebody was coming for me, right? And I always had this perpetual feeling of fear, fear, something is happening to me. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Um, I never really got help as a kid because I come from that sort of family background. And when I became, when I was in my 20s, I had my son, I had my son at 24, relatively young, but not too young. And I started to develop these horrific migraines, horrific migraines. Um, I still never really healed from that trauma because I never went to therapy. I never really did much about it, just kind of moved on with my life. And I started to develop these sort of really mind-blowing headaches to the point that I couldn't see. So I went to the doctor and I did all these tests and I said to myself, well, I got cancer, right? Something is going on. I can't see. I got cancer. So she did all these tests, CAT scans, EKGs, all this stuff. And the conclusion was nothing, <laughs> nothing. And I sat in her office and I was like, that is impossible. I'm not making this up. I can't see. There's something wrong. And eventually she was such an amazing doctor. She said to me, you're stressed. What's going on with you? You're stressed. Go talk to somebody. She gave me a few referrals to go speak to a therapist. I always tell my patients also, make sure you find a therapist that you could connect with. Therapist is not a one size fits all. The first two, eh, wasn't really feeling them. Then I found a woman of color that I could relate to that was really awesome and really made me understand my trauma really made a lot of connections for me related to my trauma and my stress levels. Now, it was great to talk to her. It was great to learn things from her, but I was still so hypervigilant. I was still in this perpetual state of something's going to happen to me. Something's going to happen to my kid. Someone's coming for me. And years later, um, I started to have heart palpitations. And at the recommendation of this doctor as well, she said, you should take a yoga class. And the first thing I thought is yoga. Yoga is for like 80 pound white girls. Like, that's not me. I can't go to yoga. What are you talking about? She was like, trust me, I, I think that that would do good for you. So I went to a restorative yoga class. So not much movement. It's a lot of props. They give you sort of oils. I remember the teacher put lavender oil on my um, temples and she gave me a little bit so I can put on my heart. And we laid there in the dark. Initially, it was a little scary. But once my body got settled, I have to tell you that class was 45 minutes. I woke up and I never felt more calmer in my entire life. And I said to myself, Whatever the hell that is, I need some more of it. I need some more of it. Mm 
And I just kept going back. And that's when I started to connect my mind to my body is when I started to come down. I started to decompress. I started to have real true healing, real true healing happened for me at that time. And it was years later is what I started to say. Why are we incorporating this in therapy? Why we are not incorporating this in psychotherapy? This would be amazing for patients. And then I just decided to figure out how I could incorporate this for other people. I took a yoga class. The yoga certification that I took, I really shopped around for my teacher because I kept telling my teachers, I have no interest in teaching in a yoga studio. I have no interest in learning headstands. I want to learn philosophy and I want to learn how I can help my patients with this. Are you the teacher for me? And once I found my teacher and my training, it was golden and it took off from there. Mm, something that really spoke to me in your story is that when you started to feel relaxed and when you noticed your nervous system starting to regulate, wasn't you, you didn't maybe realize exactly how much it was, um, what's the word, hypervigilant or hypervigilant. going, like, is that, did, is that what you noticed? Like Absolutely. Difference? Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. I noticed that I went from that perpetual state of what we say in therapy, fight, flight, or freeze, because that's what I was on. When you're on that fight where you feel like somebody's coming for you, or when you're on that freeze where you are so worried, you are so nervous, you can't move, right? Or you fight, or you feel like someone's coming for you and you put up your hands to fight. That's exhausting. It's exhausting to go through life like that. And it is exhausting on what it does to the body because it trickles down to somatic things like stomach aches, heart racing, headaches, which is what I was suffering from. So it wasn't until that I was able to really be still and silent and quiet and relaxed is when I started to notice, okay, no one's coming for me. This is really like in my mind, nothing is happening. I'm just here, I'm in this room, I'm safe, I'm relaxed, I'm okay. And it wasn't until I started to incorporate that is when I noticed my nervous system was like, oh, we are okay, we're fine. Okay, we can come down, we can relax. Mm-hmm. And I think the important part of what you're talking about is that you had to feel it. You had to experience it. Probably if a therapist would have told you that was happening, you would have been like, uh, whatever. Um, I'm still having the headaches. I'm still, so like you experienced it yourself, your nervous system experienced it. And then you were able to go from there. And so after you had your yoga experience and journey and you learned more about it and you started to incorporate it in your psychotherapy practice. Can you share what that looks like and, and yeah. how you, cause I know this is going to be for many people that have been trained in mental health is definitely not something we learned in school. And so, yeah, it's probably, you had to probably create some stuff or probably go on the fly. Tell, tell us more about that. Yeah. So I had to create stuff on the fly and I work primarily with a lot of people of color. So in the community, in their mind, such as like it was in my mind, they think yoga is 
I don't know, we're cutting up chickens, right? we're chanting, we're, we're bringing up the, the bunch of crazy stuff people say about yoga. And what I really explain to people is you are connecting to your mind. You're connecting to something bigger than yourself. It is stored in your body. So I really try to explain things to them in a very layman's terms that let's talk about this, right? So I would imagine, tell me a little bit more about your sense of symptoms. I do this great little activity for not just my kids, for but my adult patients as well. I do like a gingerbread man. So I have a cutout picture of a gingerbread person. And I say, this is you, right? This is gingerbread woman cat. Let's go down the body and start talking about how you feel things in your body, starting from the head all the way down to your toes. And we're going to color them. And we're going to put what you're experiencing, starting from the head, racing thoughts, headaches. And when we're done, we have this colorful person of all these things that happens to their body when they don't even realize it. Oftentimes, I'll hear patients say, my goodness, this is a lot. I never really realized all these things that actually happened to me um, before I'm upset, before I'm angry, before I'm depressed, before I'm anxious, all these things. So I think making that connection for people and letting them know that mind really is connected to the body and vice versa, right? So what can we do, right? So how I utilize this is I say, maybe we can learn how to breathe, right? Let's, let's do a couple of breathing exercises. And breathing is life force energy. It sends that beautiful signal to the brain, which trickles, with, with, which activates that parasympathetic nervous system, which says rest and digest. It's okay. We could relax. Sometimes I say, we could use a positive affirmation. Sometimes if people are into prayer, I say, think about a certain scripture that really helps you, that can anchor you back. You know, I call it meditation, you call it prayer, whatever it is that can get you back to a calm sort of relaxed place. May I ask, so this has happened to me throughout my years of practice and especially when I worked with teens, but I've seen it across the gamut is when I talk about breathing or when we do it, the first thing they said, that doesn't work, especially my teens, but that doesn't work. That's stupid. I can't. How do you um, get buy-in with your clients to even practice or start working with the breath? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Such a great question. So for my teens, I use this cute little trick that I was taught in yoga teacher training. I tell them, let's take our fingers Let's take a deep breath in. And then I go, I am so calm. And I use the fingers and each finger we say that, right? So we take a breath. I am so calm. Right. And we do that a few times. And then I say, now let's close our eyes and do that. What's great about using your fingers is that when you're in school, they could use it under their desk, right? Sometimes I give them like a little bit of a, like a little squishy something to just squeeze in their hand while they're breathing. 
Sometimes I tell them, take your palms. You can place it right on your lap so you can feel your lap, right? So whenever you are triggered, you need to reorient reorient yourself back into the present moment. And how do we do that? We feel something in our body because it creates us to get this felt sense where it feels like, okay, here I am. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here because my body is here. Right. So I think that that's coming up with some really playful sort of different breathing activities for teens and kids as opposed to adults. Some adults have a hard time, too. Some adults have a hard time, too. And that's why I say maybe we could use an affirmation. Maybe we can think of an affirmation. Maybe we can think about that here in session. What is something calm for you? What is something that you can visualize? What's your happy place, so to say, right? My happy place happens to be the beach. I love the beach. I love the sun. I love the heat. I love the waves. So I describe that to them. And I go, when I'm feeling it in my body, like we did the gingerbread activities, and I see myself getting triggered, how do I bring myself back? I start to visualize the beach. I think of the smell of the ocean. I think of the sun going on my face. And, you know, we're just sitting there thinking of that beautiful, happy place to bring ourselves to calm. And then we come out of it and then we feel much better. Yeah, I feel better just you describing that. Actually, I noticed a difference. But so when you mention you're, we're, we're having this discussion and you're noticing not only in your own personal experience, but also with your clients, this the connection to the body and, and the nervous system and just understanding how it is affected by stress and also past traumas and maybe even generational community violence, racism. Um, we can get more into that. But when you mention your own history of sexual abuse, something that comes up for me when incorporating movement is being trauma informed and how maybe the body isn't safe to feel. And I'm curious your experience with that and how you practice a trauma informed approach when you're incorporating movement. Absolutely. I think practicing in a trauma informed um, sort of way is very important because not everybody is ready. So I don't incorporate the yoga immediately because sometimes you do have to touch people and people are not ready for that. Sometimes you have to do certain poses and that can be very triggering for people, right? Some people I I found um, if you're laying in that Shavasana pose, which is like that corpse pose, that can be triggering for some people because maybe people were molested or closing their eyes when it's dark that could be triggering for people. So I think for purposes of therapy and yoga, I actually get to know the person first, right? I really do a good amount of sessions, especially if it is a traumatic patient that I'm seeing, such as sexual abuse or physical abuse. I really try to get to know the patient first and I really make connections to patients first, right? I I always like to say, we need to figure out why you move the way that you move, right? Why is this connected to this connected to this? Once they get an idea of that and they're comfortable with me throughout our session, then I say, I think part two of this is now incorporating some alternative methods for you to heal, right? Are you with it? 
This is exactly how I talk to my patients. Are you with it? Right? Because you, what you've done before, it hasn't been working. So you came to me because you want to try something different, which I appreciate. So now it's time to try something different. We can't do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. So let's try it, right? Then I say, we're not going to shut off the lights today and you don't have to close your eyes. Maybe look at a point in the room that is not moving. I give them maybe a stress ball and I go, maybe focus on the stress ball for now. And I'll give you a guided meditation, which you just focusing just on the stress ball until you feel more comfortable and relaxed in your body and realize no one's coming for you. You're here in my office. You're here in my room. It's just me. We're fine. Then maybe when you're ready for that, then you can close your eyes. So it really is baby steps for people. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you expertly said that because uh, oftentimes, especially when I was a newer therapist, uh, coming, coming onto the scene, cause I did a lot of social work before I did clinical mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. that, um, that the tendency to move fast is strong with the newer therapist and the, the way that you talked about not just assessment, but container building, mm-hmm. safety building, understand that they're the mind body connection and knowing what could be unsafe. Um, you're not just saying yoga is perfect for everyone. The second mm-hmm. you walk in the door, you're going to love this. You're going to feel nirvana. You're, mm-hmm. you're really using a lot of clinical judgment and skills yep. here. Yep. That's 100%. And that is why it's important to start because they're coming to us for therapy, right? They're not coming to us for yoga. They're coming to us for therapy, right? I just happen to also be a yoga teacher that incorporates both. And I advertise all over the place where I am a psychotherapist, but I am a yoga and all over the place. It says I utilize holistic methods. And if you want to try something different, I'm your girl. I'm your girl. Mm -hmm. And I did notice that on your website and also just the way that you talk about the services. People are coming to you because maybe they've tried other types of therapy, or maybe they just, they have a feeling that traditional talk therapy won't work. So there is a openness. And in saying that, I noticed that yoga therapy was also one of the services. Is that different than incorporating yoga into psychotherapy? Uh, I know there's a lot of trainings out there that does do yoga therapy, right? I just look at it a lot differently because I am a psychotherapist. So for me, it incorporates a lot of talk therapy, which is exactly what I explained earlier, where we move very slow to make connections. Then we incorporate some of the therapy. I know a lot of yoga therapists would probably disagree and it's okay. We could agree to disagree, but I have two professions that I just happen to put into one. I smush it into one. Yes. And I think that is also important what you're describing of scope of practice. So And so maybe a therapist who loves yoga um, might maybe talk about it with their clients, but out of of their scope of practice to actually teach their clients or do yoga with them. Whereas with you, that you do have the scope of both modalities and professions, and you know how to blend and utilize them in a way that somebody that didn't have a psychotherapy background. And I think that's really neat. So can you share, I'm just really curious, uh, do you have any stories or any um, I, I hate to use the clinical word case studies of obviously we're not going to use names or that you feel comfortable sharing that really shows the power of connecting to the, the body specifically through some yoga 
techniques? Yeah, let's let me see. Oh goodness, I have so many. So let's see. I deal with a lot of, I guess, because I have a certification in anxiety. So I deal with a lot of anxious, anxious people. So I had this one girl that was not interested in yoga. And which was interesting because I advertised for it all over the world, right? So I thought that that was interesting. So, you know, I'm very open with my patients. And I say during that first intake session, this is how I practice. I'm not for everybody. And that's fine. You can find yourself another therapist. But if you are coming to me, you have to at least be open. You have to at least be open to what I could provide for you and what I can help you. You have to let me help you. You have to. So that means that you have to let your guard down a little bit. So went through that, through the whole intake process. And at the end, I always give them the option of, this is going to be a lot of work. Are, do you want to continue? You have the choice. Do you want to continue? Or I can give you a referral to one of my colleagues, which is fine. She agreed to continue. She agreed to do some of the breathing and some of the yoga. Um, and a few sessions in, we started talking about her anxiety, where it contributed from, her family history, sort of same background as me, Haitian American woman, grew up with a very difficult family, um, et cetera, et cetera. But she was still so resistant in breathing and doing the homework. And she was just so resistant. And so a big part of clinicians is confrontations with your patients, right? Mm -hmm. And it's confrontation is not aggressive. Confrontation is, listen, I've been seeing you for at least six times and you haven't done any of the work, you know, um, all the things that I have recommended you have not done. And I'm a little concerned if you really want to commit to this change because it is a commitment to change or if you're not having a connection with me, right? So that kind of shocked her because I don't know, maybe she thought I was going to bullshit her and I'm not a bullshitter. I'm not one bit. So she cried. She became emotional. And she talked about how hard this was and how she didn't realize how much she was going to be triggered by this. She didn't realize how much stuff she had from her family, how much things she was carrying on up uh, totally get that. Next session, I said, so I want us to do a little guided meditation. So we did a small guided meditation on, I, I, I have this guided meditation where I talk about walking into a lake and you sort of see your reflection in the mirror. And when you see re your reflection in the lake, what do you see? You see the whole you, you see yourself calm, you see yourself, you're relaxed, you don't look back, you look forward and you keep on walking until you get to the calm. She woke up crying hysterically because she's never felt that powerful before. She never saw herself so calm and so connected. Then we build, we build, we build, we build. And so funny, as we were ending, she she decided to go to yoga teacher training as well. <laughs> she was like, whatever you did, I'm buying into it. I totally want to do it. And I don't know what happened to her because, you know, we're not really allowed to ethically keep in touch with patients after we end treatment. But I thought that that was awesome, specifically since she was so resistant to it. 
Yes. It almost, that almost sounds a little bit like your, well, in some ways your journey, you said, okay, once, once that the client felt that they truly felt it, they were like, okay, I'm in. So you noticed the resistance and because the client wasn't um, able or willing or even safe to try, then they did. They're like, okay, I'm done. I'm in. <laughs> that is so, uh, I love that's what, for me, that's what helps motivate me to continue the work stories like that. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, um, kind of on the same conversation, something that we talk a lot about on this podcast and just generally with the type of integrative mental health that we're interested in is the, I I guess, same problems with the mental health system or the uh, cracks or the weak points in the foundation, because it's apparent that with all the services that we have, things still aren't getting better. People are more depressed, anxious, um, trauma and traumatic incidents are rising. And so I'm just curious in your end, because uh, you have practiced in traditional ways and non-traditional ways, what do you notice are parts of the mental health system that could use some revamping or um, should be focused on to really create inclusive services? Yeah. That's such a great question. And honestly, this is what I am trying to do next in my career. The insurance companies really need to get on board and figure out how to help, what are they called? Members, I would imagine. They're members, right? Some of the, I take insurance, but I don't take all insurances. And as you know, as a practitioner as well, some of these insurances, their reimbursements are insulting, insulting, right? We work so hard for our degree. We work so hard to give so much to our patients and you reimburse us back with, I don't know, $45, $50. And my personal opinion is insulting, but those are the patients that need us the most. They're the ones that need us the most. I don't take Medicaid because Medicaid is such a hassle in my personal opinion, but those are the patients that need us. So there's not enough access for them, right? I work in my own private practice and I have a small group practice. Most of the agencies that take Medicaid and those lower sort of insurances are agencies, And those agencies hire new people straight out of school, no experience. There's no time. There's no time to supervise those new clinicians like that. Everything is fast paced. Everything is go, 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 go. You see the patient for 30 minutes. And what can you do with someone in 30 minutes, in my personal opinion? And they're out the door. Next, 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 next. It's like a factory. How are they providing good services to people on that trajectory. There is just no way. So that's one of my pet peeves. Another one of my pet peeves is affordability. Listen, I get it. We have to make a living. We have to, I understand that. But some of these fees that some of these therapists are charging, my goodness. You know, I went through a terrible divorce last year and I was searching for a therapist and I don't have the best insurance as well. And I was searching for a therapist. And in my search for a therapist, I couldn't find anybody. I could, me, the therapist, couldn't find a therapist to help her, right? Because my insurance has a crappy reimbursement rate, right? So 
affordability. And when I was willing to pay out of pocket, some of the fees, $300 an hour, how could anybody afford that? Like, how could anybody seriously afford $300 an hour every week? There's no way anybody could do that. So affordability, access to services, we need more inclusivity. There's not enough therapists of color. There's just not. I think it's somewhere down the line between three or 4% of us. It's just not enough of us compared to millions of people in this world. It's just not enough therapists of color. And what I find is most patients want someone that they could identify with, someone that they feel connected to, whether that's a woman, whether that is a man, there's just not enough therapists of color. We need to have more conversations about mental health. Not everybody thinks mental health is real. They just think, oh, you know, Susie, she's just a little nutty. You know, Aunt May, Aunt May's been nutty for all our lives. But then you think about it and be like, but Aunt May really sounds like, but that's just me in my clinical hat. Aunt May really sounds like she has a mental health issue. She's in the corner talking to herself and y'all don't think anything is wrong with that? What's up with y'all, right? And so going, having these sort of conversations and going into communities where we talk about, maybe do little workshops on mental health, maybe getting more involved in schools to teach kids about anger, anxiety, depression, teaching parents about anger, anxiety, and depression within themselves and what to look for with their kids. That's really a big passion of mine. And that's where I want my career to head towards next. Uh, the education and awareness and community aspect. Everything you said are echoes of issues that clinicians of lots of different disciplines I've heard from talk about from different areas of the country I and even internationally. I'm sure there's also access issues and it just looks different. But specifically here in the States, I mean, the thing, the thing that crack, that I find the most is that the reimbursement rates are the same in certain states like California, New York City, and then where I'm based out of Louisville, Kentucky, our living standard of living is different, obviously, but the rates are the same. I mean, that that just it doesn't make any sense. And I think that the members, the so like everybody um is affected with this. The the clinicians, maybe people, maybe people don't want to get into the field because I mean, I taught social work. I've been a social worker. The thing that everybody always says was you're going to make no money. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you bet you're in this for the heart because you definitely aren't getting paid. It's like, well, I find it interesting. Someone can sit at a computer and make up a little program and get, you know, six figures. And we're on the front lines of like trying to heal working with healing individuals and communities, but yet we're not valued. Totally. And so I totally agree. Sorry, we could go off on this. We could go off on a tangent forever because we're social workers and it's the truth. It's the truth. But I love that you have some ideas and thoughts and plans. And that's kind of leading a little bit into the next question, because one of the reasons why we even created this podcast is because when when people don't have the knowledge or the understanding or the awareness, that's one thing. But if we're trained to have that and yet we're not being trained in, I mean, we, in my schooling, we use the word cultural competence, which is in my opinion, a joke because we're really not understanding our own, which Mm -hmm. I'm speaking from as a white 
clinician, mm-hmm. our own cu- culture and understanding of bringing that into sessions. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I just think there's a lot of to be learned. So our focus is on, on some of the education piece for mental health mm-hmm. professionals, mm-hmm. which is why we're so grateful that you are sharing your wisdom today. And we're kind of winding down. Um, one question that I love to ask um, is, and especially right now when I'm hearing so much burnout and vicarious trauma and all mm-hmm. kinds of chronic stressors that mental health providers are sharing from what we've talked about, mm-hmm. right? It's it's hard um, because of the access and the reimbursement and we have to fight. And also lately it's just been hard. That being said, how have you personally been um, showing up for yourself and um, assessing your own levels of emotional or physical stress or burnout? Because I'm just, I'm hearing it from everyone right now. So I would say this in the beginning of the pandemic, it was a real big struggle for me. It was a real big struggle because, I mean, I've been a therapist for quite some time, as I said, and I've always been busy but I've never been busy like this. Like this right here is something next level. I The phone rings nonstop. Emails come in nonstop. While I'm really happy for the business 100%, and I'm really happy that people are seeking mental health therapy, but there's only one of me and I have a staff of four. There's only a few of us, right? So it was really hard for me in the beginning to set boundaries because you would literally have people on the phone crying. You're my third person that I call. Please help me. Please help me. What can you say to something like that, right? Okay, let me try to see if I could squeeze you in. I could squeeze you in. And before you knew it, I was working every single day, including Saturdays and Sundays. It it just became ridiculous. Then I started to notice, remember what I said earlier, that whole mind-body connection? When I get stressed, I start to develop headaches, my headaches started coming back. And that's when I was like, I can't do this. I can't work like this because I'm not going to have anything to give to people. I'm not. I feel like I'm in a factory. I feel like I am just working the line. I can't. And you know, as a therapist, you got to be on. It's not like we're just in a regular job that you pick up the phone. Can I take your order? You have to be on. You have to be present. And so I had to start setting clearer boundaries I'm sorry, I can't take you. I'm full at this time. You can be on the wait list and I don't know when the wait list is going to come open. I'm going to be honest with you. You can see one of my associates if they chose to. Then I started to do other way, uh, other things to get more people to get some services. So I started to do small groups. So I started, um, I did like an anxiety group where I would just give people some skills, just something to get them going just until they could find the therapist. And who knows when that was going to be? I would do a couple of yoga classes to give people some sort of calming services to help them relax. Then the whole, not that racism just happened, but then the world blew up with George Floyd. And I have a 21-year-old son. And I just felt so helpless and so scared and so worried for him. And I had a lot of male clients. Uh, I had a couple of male clients that was also men of color that were very vulnerable, that were very emotional. So that took a toll on me. And I have to tell you, I had to disconnect. I had to disconnect. I had to take two weeks off and I meditated a lot. 
I started to pick back up running because my yoga studio was closed. I had to pull out my mat in my apartment and I started to do yoga at home. I started to do yoga with my children. I would just walk for long periods of time. I had to figure out how to drink tea to calm myself down. Um, I just really had to reset. And then when I came back after that two week break, I felt a lot more better. And I just had a conversation with my staff and was like, okay, we have to start incorporating self-care for ourselves, right? So maybe once a month when we, because I do group supervision, when we end our group supervision, let's end with a meditation. Let's end with a calming activity. And let's make sure that we're practicing this at least every day to ground ourselves and center ourselves because this is not an easy career. We are taking in all this stuff, all this stuff repeatedly, right? So it is super important to take care of yourself. So I've been trying to do a better job at that. I'm definitely better than I was in the pandemic. It's still kind of hard for me to set boundaries because of the telephone calls, but I am doing better. I am doing better. Mm. Which, yeah, there's only a couple choices, right? Because to make, to be able to do the work. And so I heard you mention that you set some boundaries that were hard because you do care about people getting services, but you working every day, you were able to take, you had to take some time off and just really reset you. It sounds like you had to create or adapt your coping your physical because your yoga do. So I've heard that a lot. A lot of things have been closed. People can't do their normal thing. So you were able to adapt in that way. And it just took some time. And it also sounds like you're supporting your team and your community of mental health professionals by offering even that space during your meeting times mm-hmm. for, to settle the nervous system. So that's, that's quite a bit. And I appreciate it because hopefully our listeners are getting some ideas if they're struggling right now mm-hmm. with the, the burnout and the emotional toll. Thank you. Absolutely. I, I, I can't say enough that burnout is real and not just in our profession, but in every profession, but specifically now for mental health therapists. So I always say it's not selfish, it's self-care. You have to take care of yourself. If you do not take care of yourself, who will? And how are you going to be there for your patients? How, how is that going to happen? You're absolutely right. And it's actually in, in not only an opinion, but I think it's in a lot of different disciplines, ethical guidelines to take care of yourself. Meaning if you're in a triggered or dysregulated state, it, we could even do harm. So, I mean, not to put even more pressure on clinicians to mm-hmm. do it, but it's, it's, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And it sounds like you're the, the foundation that you work with the holistic approach really helps you be able to, um, I guess, practice what you preach because mm-hmm. your clients are seeing that, oh, wait, uh, my therapist just took time off. Maybe I need to take a break. So I really respect that. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I have to let them know that as well. Last weekend, I took a break for my birthday and they were like, oh, so what's going to happen on Thursday? I'm not going to be here. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. And I'm not going to be available as well. Now, if you're a danger to yourself or if you're a danger to someone else, 100%, I have a service that is available, 100%. But for me, I'm not going to be available. And setting that hard boundary. Otherwise, as you know, clients will call around the, cl- 
o'clock 24 7 they will if you allow them to mm-hmm. yeah i think boundary setting in that way is an underutilized quote self-care technique usually you hear stuff about taking a bubble bath or whatever but also being able to not answer the phone because we care And we understand these clients' experiences. For me, I find it hard, especially when I know what they're going through. I'm like, oof, I know you just had the worst week of your life, but also I'm not answering the phone at at midnight. My bad. (laughs) Like you utilize your amazing resources. But that being said, we're we're winding down. It's been a little bit of a tradition on the podcast to um, end with an actual practice, just what we're talking about, because just intellectualizing some of these integrative concepts don't, don't work. We need to embody and practice them also to see if it feels good to us. And if, and if we want to incorporate it in our practice. So I'm just curious if you have any, either like a very short guided practice or even a tip or technique that you would like to share with us today. Absolutely. I would love to. So I like to, most of my sessions obviously are on the chair. So you can always do this on the chair Or if you're on your bed, you can lay down on your bed in what I said earlier, that Shavasana sort of corpse pose. But but for purposes of today, we're going to do it in our chair because we are both on our chair. So then I'm going to invite you. We always say invite because we don't want anyone forced to feel like they're doing anything. So I always say I invite you to take one hand and place it on your heart. Then you're going to take your other hand and place it on your belly. And then I say, find yourself in that comfortable position in that chair. Your feet is fully planted in the earth. The ground is always called the earth in yoga. And then I say, if it feels comfortable to you, close your eyes. If not, you can look at a point in the room that is not moving. And then I say, stay here for a few moments and just feel. Notice and feel. Feel that heart rate, feel the stomach muscles. Just notice what you feel. And then I say, we're gonna do a little bit of a breathing exercise, taking a deep breath in through your nose and exhaling it out of your mouth, side out. Deep breath in through your nose. Exhale out of your mouth, side out. And stay here for a few moments. And once again, notice how that feels. Noticing maybe the heart rate has slowed down. Your nervous system is slowing down. Feeling that connection with your hand on your heart feeling your stomach muscles rise and fall. If you feel comfortable, maybe you can say a little affirmation here. We'll do that two times. Inhaling, I am. Exhaling, calm. Inhaling, I am. Exhaling, calm. Once again, just notice what that feels like. Allowing those words to just wash over your whole body. Say that two more times unconsciously to yourself. 
And on your last exhale, slowly coming back to present moment, slowly opening your eyes and releasing your hands. Oh my, I don't know about anyone else. And I will invite our listeners if they weren't in a space to practice that to rewind when they can, because how long was that? That wasn't even what? I don't think that wasn't even five minutes. That was like a few minutes. And I, I personally, A, realized, wow, you're really tired. You could fall asleep right this mm-hmm. before. I had no clue how tired I was. Mm-hmm. And then um, it really shows you the power of of not only the breath, but also the awareness and recognition. Mm-hmm. It was so quick and effective. Mm-hmm. Is that what you notice when you practice for your clients? Absolutely. I notice very quickly. Some of them actually fall asleep. And I always say to them, it's because you're really tired. When's the last time that you've actually really was relaxed? We're all we're all hyper alert right now, right? So it's important to reset. And this is a reset. Sometimes I do it before the session. Sometimes I do it at the end of session depending upon if somebody comes in and they're all agitated and ramped up and I go, okay, you know what? Let's just take a few minutes. Let's let's settle ourselves. Let's take a few minutes and I'll do that breathing exercise. And then when we open up our eyes, then I go, okay, so tell me about the week. So you'll notice that they are a lot more calm and relaxed to tell you a little bit more about what's going on. Are you in the session? It's a great way for us as clinicians for a reset. Sometimes I do that in between patients and it's a great reset for your patients as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of us either do back-to-backs, especially those of us working community mental health. As you mentioned, I was doing 10 clients in a day back-to-back. So that ability to not only regulate with your client, but also for yourself when you're getting ready to go straight. And I think the part that is most profound is that a lot of people, at least I used to think that to take care of myself or to relax would take hours. Like I'd have to go to some kind of a spa or go to the woods or like do go lay in my bed and do a long meditation. But I think what you're saying is these resets can be short and we can do them several times throughout the day. Um, it's attainable. It's accessible. Yep. For Thank sure. For sharing that, anytime <laughs> right up our alley. Anything that can be accessed because that's what really empowers. That we don't need gurus or expensive products or even therapists for long term. When when we can um, go into our body and let that be our guide to to our healing journey. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your wisdom, thoughts, ideas, passion, uh, and love really for this work, your clients and the community. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure talking to you and being here with your listeners. I hope people get something out of this. Um, and I'm sure you'll list where people can find me if they ever want to learn more.
Yep, absolutely. Well, we'll link that in the show notes. And um, that that being said, do you see clients that are um, virtual or through telehealth? Do you do any coaching? Because I know that like licensure, some people only can see people in their state, mm-hmm. but maybe we'll see people outside of the state if they're looking for coaching. What What do you provide in that way? So I don't do coaching, but I do do online. Um, I'm on a platform te- I'm on a telehealth platform, clearly. Um, So right now I am doing a lot of that. I also am doing a lot of training because I think it's important for other therapists to know about different modalities on with psychotherapy. So I've been doing a lot more trainings with things like this and I advertise it in a way that you don't have to be a yogi, right? So you don't have to go to yoga school, but you can learn some other methods to incorporate in your treatment for your patients. Excellent. Well, keep us up to date on what you're offering. We'd love to share because that I think that uh, I would love to learn from you personally. You're, and I also think that probably other uh, mental health professionals would too. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you joined us today for this conversation. And Again, we would love to hear from you if you have any thoughts, suggestions, comments, or any ideas about this podcast that is geared toward mental health professionals. And um, it's very important to us that this is a useful resource. So hearing from you would help us to know if it is valuable. If you are also interested in the podcast, please subscribe. And we created an Instagram page for the podcast, so you can find it if you search Integrative Conversations. All right, well, until next time, 